Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. So, long-time listeners, we have a new name. We are now Geek Between the Lines. We are no longer Geek Critique. Yes, and we talked with our patrons about the name change and got their feedback and everything and so we're excited yeah we we like the fact that it maintains that geek quality Mm -hmm. that we will obviously continue to to bring but also highlights you know that we are looking intentionally at these properties and trying to find hidden and not so hidden ideas and themes inside yeah exactly so to those longtime listeners thanks for coming along with us and for those new listeners welcome to the podcast yeah This week, we're looking at gender in Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Before we get started, we should chat a little bit about ourselves. So we previously talked about how we identify in regards to gender, but is there anything about your gender and the the kind of stereotypes that come with it that you feel like you really don't conform to? Yeah, there's a lot, honestly. And I think partially because I don't conform to many of the gender stereotypes for being a woman. Gender norms have always bugged me. Mm. And also because even as a kid, I saw how they would be used to undermine my gender. Mm. And it was just very frustrating. So I think ways in which I don't conform, it's not that I'm not sensitive. It's not that I'm completely not emotional, but compared to how it's portrayed or the assumptions that would be made in many of my relationships with men, I have been the less emotional one, Mm. the one who is more logical and like, look at what's most reasonable. And that definitely, unfortunately, is not associated with women. Mm -hmm. Also, I don't wear makeup. I dress kind of however I want. So... Maybe I'll wear a dress one day and maybe I'll wear like a button down and a tie a different day. So there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of ways, <laughs> but those are just a few. Yeah, that makes sense. What about you? Well, I mean, certainly it's true that in our relationship, I'm the more emotional one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is definitely true. And I think even beyond that, I'm also tend to be in, in all of my relationships. I've been the more romantic one as well. That tends to not be seen as going along with traditional masculinity. Mm-hmm. And similarly, you know, I've I've never been someone who loves kind of physical activity and sports and all those kinds of things that is seen as a masculine type of thing. Although I, I did play sports when I was a kid. My parents basically signed us up for almost everything. So. Which is still hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, by the time it came to high school, when I could choose my own paths and ways to spend my time, I did join the football team uh, the way that my older brother had. But about three weeks in, I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> so I quit. <laughs> and have not regretted that ever since. And of my siblings, yeah, we've never really kind of gone down that kind of masculine form of like, I have to be physical. You'd much rather be doing karaoke to the song physical. That's true. (laughs) I do love karaoke. Well, we should move on to Avatar. We have a quote from the first episode of Avatar The Last Airbender, The Boy in the Iceberg, as Sokka and Katara are arguing in the ocean, and Sokka says, leave it to a girl to screw things up. You are the most sexist, immature, Nut-brained, I'm embarrassed to be related to you. Ever since mom died, I've been doing all the work around camp while you've been off playing soldier. 
Yes, Sokka, what's up with that? Yes, Sokka. Yeah, I do love that because it, one, is just true and beginning of the show calling out sexism and seeing a dynamic of that I think is important. I also enjoy that she does not finish her sentence Mm -hmm. because it's a kid's show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. But it's so true. Like, as she says, she's playing soldier. He has these dreams of, of being a soldier, but he's not really doing that while she's actually doing the work of helping to maintain their lives in the village when their parents are gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I think is so brilliant about it is that this is basically the opening dialogue between characters. And it's just automatically, you're like, oh, I'm... I'm probably getting on board with this show (laughs) two minutes in totally because yeah what other show does that i've never seen one and i I also don't think that they're just doing it in like a humorous way right they're they're it's not just like a kind of joke of like oh and she's going to be the the raging feminist who's always getting on people's like she's like calling him out for important things but it's also talking about what their intentions are and who they are and what they believe their role is in this society and how that can be gendered at times. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know that it's, you know that they're also kind of taking it seriously because it comes up other times in the show too. Mm-hmm. It's not just at the beginning. Exactly. Well, we should probably get into our analysis of the show proper then. What character did you bring this week? So it was really, really difficult for me to choose because... There's a lot of good ones. Exactly. I I really wanted to choose Katara. I really wanted to choose Toph. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to choose Beifong. In the end, I decided to go with Korra. Ooh. Because even though she's not my favorite of the the ones I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. I think her character does some really great and important things in terms of gender and defying gender stereotypes and roles. And so even just to start with her appearance, right? Mm. Because that's how people first are introduced to somebody and often, unfortunately, make assumptions about people based off of that, right? And her build is less stereotypically feminine she's not really curvy she has broader shoulders Mm -hmm. she's very built and muscular which is not commonly seen in anything animated women are hardly ever drawn that way especially if they're a main character exactly yeah maybe they would be if they're like the jock one or Mm -hmm. the tough girl but not as a main character who yeah has romantic interests and has all of these different things going on then also you see her as basically a toddler being unapologetically confident Mm. which i think is amazing she just like busts out and is bending multiple elements (laughs) it's like i'm the avatar deal with it (laughs) and i love that because yeah, she just operates that way and she doesn't let anybody act like they shouldn't treat her with respect. Yeah, talk about establishing a character at the beginning of a show. She's so not Aang, right. you know, which I think is is so important in setting up this show as distinct from Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why I don't like it as much because I do love Aang as a, as a protagonist. But I do really find it interesting and compelling seeing especially a woman portrayed this way in cartoons that, as you mentioned, typically don't portray women that way. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And then you go into some of her other personality characteristics, which are not stereotypically female in terms of gender roles. She is loud and she's brash and she's impatient and impetuous, you know, and those are not characteristics that are a part of the ideal woman, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but she has them and they are both helpful and detrimental to her, which they are for all people who mm-hmm. have those characteristics. And I also really like about her that while Asami wears makeup, Cora clearly does not. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't seem to care about any of those things. And again, that's not only just like perfectly acceptable, it's great. People don't even need to make comments about it, right? It's just, this is who she is. This is who she wants to be. She's this strong woman and dresses how she wants to. And she doesn't feel the need or pressure to be what society wants her to be or what men want her to be, right? Totally. And yeah, I think that you bring up that it's not commented upon is so important to so many of Kikora's characteristics, right? Mm -hmm. That she can be brash without seeming vapid, which is the gendered way of looking at it, Mm. right? Or she can be bold without it being compared to men and and all these other kinds of ways that she can be herself. And especially in contrast with Asami, they're both totally acceptable forms of femininity, right? And they can both be attractive and they can both be compelling and interesting, but they don't have to be in contrast with each other. Like they're not opposite ends of a spectrum necessarily, but they also, they're neither of them are defined in terms of their gender. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and and that's the next point I was going to make about it is that she's a very well-rounded character Mm. because she's not, again, just this strong woman who's headstrong and has physical strength and is tough. Body strong, headstrong, all Mm -hmm. sorts of strong. (laughs) Right? But she also has crushes, Mm. and she also is still affected by fears. Sometimes those can be crippling for her, and I think... Yeah, she's just a very well-rounded character that is not put into some sort of box. Oh, she's this kind of woman Mm. type of thing, which is just ridiculous and aggravating. Totally. And then ultimately, she defies norms by liking Asami. I mean, I I wish they had shown it um, a little more explicitly instead of hinting at it. But still... She does defy that, too. Totally. And it's one of the reasons why I really look forward to reading those comics. Absolutely. Me, too. Yeah. Because apparently she comes out in one of them. Yeah. what I've heard. That's, like, Mm -hmm. I think the first series is about, or at least a big part of it, is her and Asami dealing with the, having to come out to her family and and what that looks like. and, And how, I also appreciate that, from what I understand, I haven't read them yet, but it's dealt in nuanced ways. It's not just this is what it is. I mean, I, th- I think her parents say something like, uh, you know, while I understand, not everyone's going to, right? And mm. that's the way our society looks mm-hmm. right now. And so I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. So just everything about her is, I'm not here for men and I'm not here for society to tell me who I am. Yeah. And that's amazing. That's great. And is exactly the type of character we need in all the shows. Yeah, but especially children's shows. Definitely. Yeah. Well, what about you? What is your plot point? I thought I would talk a little bit about the resurrection of the Avatar. Mm-hmm. Because 
while avatars clearly have distinct personalities, Korra and Aang being a great example of that, <laughs> they are still in some ways the same person, the same spirit, right? They talk about their past lives and they can communicate with those past lives. So they, I think, maintain a personhood within them in some ways. But I think it's really fascinating seeing the idea of a spirit that can be multiple genders mm-hmm. as it gets reincarnated. And I feel like so many times when we think about reincarnation, whether the kinds of things that people talk about in the real world or in TV shows, it's always the same gender, right? It's always a woman being like, oh, I was a whatever, probably very fancy woman in some... (laughs) A fancy woman. Yeah, you know, whether it be a European fancy woman of like a lady of the court (laughs) or like a geisha or all these other kinds of things in the same way that men claim to be princes and kings and pirates and all those other kinds of stuff, (laughs) right? Like things that they see as like an interesting past life. No one's like, I was a peasant because (laughs) that's what most people were. Um, I was a cobbler. (laughs) Even that is a pretty specialized activity for most of human history. It's true. (laughs) Yeah, nobody was a farmer. Yeah, right. (laughs) Most people were peons (laughs) in like the historical sense of it. (laughs) So yes, it's always gendered, right? It's always, I was a man in the past. I was a woman in the past, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Uh, We unfortunately don't see enough of non-binary people having those kinds of experiences or talking about them to really have seen much of that but I wonder how that would look as well but I think that's also interesting about the Avatar is that Korra can look back and be talking to Aang as a part of herself and Aang can look back and talk to Avatar Kyoshi as a part of himself and I think that's so important and so interesting that there's no distinction of you know an Avatar who's always been a man it's never been you know the, the first boy born born on this time period or whatever. It's always this very fluid thing. And, and I appreciate that because I appreciate that it shows that a lot of what we consider gender is a construct, right? Mm-hmm. And I would be really interested in seeing if there are avatars who are non-binary or trans totally. um, and how or if that affects their lives or even if it doesn't, you know, but if I'm looking at just the world over what, hundreds of generations, there would have been. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's important to just see that and see that this kind of reincarnation can highlight a little bit more about the shared human spirit (laughs) that uh, transcends gender norms and ideals that we we tend to put upon people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I, I wouldn't have automatically thought about the avatar and reincarnation when I was when I was thinking about this theme for the episode but yeah I think it's fascinating I think because the the avatar is reincarnated into men and women and hopefully people outside of that dichotomy as well it really just cuts across all types of ideas of strength or power Mm. and just subverts that dynamic in society where men have more power. No, whoever is the avatar has the most power in society. And whoever this person is, is seeking peace and not conquest. And I think that that's really interesting if that, like, it brings up questions for me. Like, is it part of Rava? Is it part of the her or its spirit that has this seeking of peace because that we know of we haven't seen any type of 
example of a conquesting mm. avatar, which you think with all of that power, you're bound to have one. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's really fascinating if that's kind of like a common thread throughout every avatar. Yeah, it's completely something different than I've ever seen in media mm-hmm. where it doesn't matter what gender a person is. They could be the avatar and it being perfectly okay for the same being to be in either Mm. body or either plus, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I like it too, because when I think about it in contrast with the way the Avatar cycles through the nations, Mm -hmm. that one to me feels like it's about like balance. And in so doing, it contrasts these nations against each other. Right. It says they cannot that they are they need to be balanced because they are separate entities. Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't see the way that it reincarnates through gender framed the same way. I don't think it's about balancing these separate entities. I think it's just about being Mm -hmm. and you can be male, female, anything in between or outside of that. And that doesn't have to be something that needs to be balanced against each other. Mm -hmm. Obviously, society can have imbalances there. 100% and tends to, but I don't think that has to exist naturally according to the cosmology of this world, the way that the nations seem to have it. Yeah. Which I think is an interesting concept we could, if we ever come back to nationalism in Avatar, to talk about as well. But Mm -hmm. we should probably move on to our compelling questions. True, true. (laughs) So what is your compelling question for me? So because I talked so much about Korra, My question is, where do you see boys or men defying gender norms in the series? Such a great question. It's an interesting question because we don't see a lot of gender norms placed on people in the series. And the ones that we do see tend to be placed on women. But we don't see a lot of kind of masculinity norms placed on men. But we do see, I think, them defying our world's versions of these gender norms, which I'm sure would be very similar. And I think that talking about some of my characteristics and how I don't always emulate traditional masculine roles, neither does Aang. He is both slight of stature, at least Mm -hmm. when he's a child. He is someone who avoids conflict and avoids fighting. And he, like the chakra that he has hardest giving up, the thing that he refuses to give up is loving others. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, talking about toxic masculinity, right. one of the biggest problems is that men often are told that loving something makes you weak or vulnerable or is something that you don't do not want to show or feel. Aang abides by none of that. <laughs> and it's just one of the best things about him, which yes. is, is so, so great. Which is one of the reasons I love his character so much. And he just makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's the really the first one that comes to mind. Were you thinking of anyone in particular? I mean, I was Aang? thinking about Aang, of course. Of course. And so just to add on to what you were saying, I think he's also he's very gentle, right? Like he mm-hmm. is an airbender. He is a monk. He is a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Everything about him is the opposite of people who are screaming about masculinity. He is none of those things. And that's why earthbending is so hard for him mm. because he's not stubborn. He doesn't want to just stand his ground and face things and like pummel it, you know? Yeah. He's like, I'm just going to jump over here, you know, and and sidestep it. And, and yes, I love that about him. Also, something I love about him is that he shows absolutely no shame 
in crying. Mm. Like, he cries several times throughout the series. It never seems to bother him one bit, which Mm. is great and amazing, and I love it. And also, I think maybe one place that where we do see some gender norms placed on him, unfortunately, is through Toph, Mm, where she calls him twinkle toes and things like that, which, which I think is both good and bad to have in the series, because yes, someone like him in our society would be made fun of because they are not stereotypically masculine. Mm. But I also love that he doesn't really seem to be very bothered by it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is like, okay, like, he doesn't care. He seems to be comfortable with who he is. And yes, I think that's just super beautiful. I do find it unfortunate that in Legend of Korra, when you see flashbacks, he has, like, facial hair. And I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, first of all, because I don't like facial hair. But that's not why. It's because I feel like that was a way to make him more masculine looking Mm. and more, like, quote-unquote powerful looking. And so, yeah, I just... I don't like that. And I don't know that it even necessarily makes sense for him ethnically, you know? And so... Yeah, there are things that I wish that they had done differently there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other example I was thinking of is Sokka mm. with his accessorizing. Mm. Like, he loves accessorizing. He loves having his belt match his bag. And he loves shopping. <laughs> All of uh, those things are not stereotypically straight male yeah that's in true. our society mm. so i appreciate that that's in there yeah the other person who i thought of during this conversation was bolin mm. um bolin in some ways definitely does adhere to gender norms but i think especially his relationship with eska he is very much the submissive person and it's often played for a joke and obviously he, he doesn't want to continue being in the relationship necessarily but he does feel for her he does care about her in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways even as he very much becomes a submissive character to her in a way that is not at all the way that masculine people tend to be portrayed in relationships Mm -hmm. i also love her she's amazing she's basically you and me (laughs) 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 but also that brings up another great point that the twins they look so similar. Mm, that's true. And there's not any big differentiation between them and their personalities. So like, oh, well, obviously he's the male twin, you know? Yeah, that's great. Great character design, too. Mm-hmm. Good point. So many good things. We yes. could talk forever. But we should go on to your compelling question. Okay. So my compelling question is, is kind of in the same vein. But, but I want to know how you see bending affecting gender norms and expectations. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating because in our society, because we can't bend elements, we don't have this additional factor that goes into constructing gender or constructing our own personalities. Yeah, exactly. Right? So we look to other things. And there... The Fire Nation, it's it's this very heated, it's much more unpredictable and potentially violent and uncontrolled, right? Mm. And you see both Azula and Zuko have much more, like, 
explosive. Yeah, explosive. And they can so much more easily just settle into roles of leadership or Mm. domination. And I don't know if that's growing up in a royal family Mm -hmm. that's part of that or if it's firebending as well. And we have someone like Iroh who kind of defies that, but he didn't used to, mm-hmm. right? Like now he loves music and they're, you know, they're music nights on the ship and tea that'll make him cry and like all of these wonderful things. But he used to be a general and... I would love to see how he was back then to see how much of that was still a part of him even as he was doing these warmongering types of things. I know. Ugh. I want to see it so much. But, um, and then you have airbending, which is so much less combative. Mm. And you have someone like Aang. And then you have the Earth Nation, which is much more stubborn and unyielding. And then you have Toph Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Beifong, (laughs) or Lin Beifong. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I could definitely see there being parts of that embedded in it because that was embedded in the creation of those bending techniques was based off of different types of martial arts and the principles behind those martial arts and how you move your body and what your main goal is in in the fighting style and so yeah of course that that would get infused into you as you're learning those things Mm -hmm. but i guess the question would be how does it affect non-benders and where where do the different cultures overlap and where are they separate yeah that's so fascinating because i was very much looking at it from the latter aspect i thought this is an interesting point of intersectionality of Mm. looking at how gender is affected by other forces and within society and i'm really compelled by how you brought up almost like a cultural or uh, racial component and how that's going to be affected alongside the differences within bending forms. Whereas I was thinking about the contrast between bending and non-bending, which is more kind of ability Hmm. focused. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, well, one, these abilities give new forms for gender roles to be enacted. The Northern Water Tribe is the perfect example where they go up there and Katara is told that she can only train in healing-based waterbending Mm -hmm. because she's a woman. And, you know, so clearly, though waterbending can be used offensively or for healing by anyone, they have this extra-gendered component to it. But I also found it really interesting looking at those relationships between benders and non-benders because... Sokka is a really interesting example of a character who I think struggles with his masculinity throughout the series. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really interesting that the most poignant point of struggle there is with Suki, is with a non-bender, another yeah. warrior. And that he never seems to have the same kind of dismissiveness towards benders, even female benders that he meets, right? Towards Katara, outside of her being his sister, but to Toph, he doesn't really kind of gauge his own masculinity against their ability or power over him. But he does with Suki. It's this other non-bender who he does. And so I almost find it interesting to see how within these kinds of levels of ability, there are these comparisons and these concepts of gender interacting as well. Yeah, that that's fascinating if 
because they don't have this non-benders don't have this other influence going on if they then stratify things differently totally yeah yeah well why don't we move on to our missed opportunities okay so if you can't tell from this conversation the last airbender and legend of decor does gender in most ways i think excellently agreed i was thinking about different gender representation in the show and they even have somebody who would be non-binary in legend of Korra. it's not a main character but the assistant who works in republic city and is the one who witnesses the uh fight between tarlock and Korra. there isn't any gender pronouns used Mm -hmm. towards that character and dress appearance all of it i would consider non-binary and it's not explained and it doesn't need to be right and so i'm just like they've done almost everything (laughs) which is great and so yeah i wish that there had been um a trans character i wish that there or an intersex character or both (laughs) and of prominence as well totally Yeah. yeah absolutely so Although that was, you know, a glowing review of how awesome Avatar is in a lot of ways Mm. in regard to gender, I do have to bring up a way that I think that they failed miserably. Okay. (laughs) And it's so sad because it involves a character that I love in so many ways. A character you love in in Avatar? Yeah, I know. It could be basically (laughs) anyone. But... Uncle Iroh mm-hmm. has some really problematic things that he does. Totally, yes. Yeah, so when it comes to the bounty hunter, June, he is completely creepy. Mm. He's a creepy older man who is completely inappropriate to this younger woman and pretends to be temporarily paralyzed and he's just laying on top of her and she's paralyzed and she can't move and she's like i didn't see the sheer shrew hit you with its paralyzing tongue yeah that's so gross it's so gross it's so not okay in any way it baffles me because avatar does such a good job Mm. on so many things and then they make this a joke where an older man is basically on top of a younger woman who is uncomfortable with the situation and it's just supposed to be something like like you laugh about and sexual harassment at the least yeah exactly and if they wanted to have something like that and then bring consent into a conversation we need those discussions Mm -hmm. right and in light of other times where they're bringing up sexism and patriarchy they could have done that if they wanted but yeah to just make it a joke and to make it be a character that in so many other ways is so wise and is so compassionate and Mm -hmm. is so kind to not call out that hypocrisy yeah it's just unacceptable and really disappointing to me absolutely yeah that is by far the most damning example of when you allow problematic behaviors that we have in our society to be used as a joke Mm -hmm. 
instead of actually taking them seriously, which I think that, as this episode shows, most of what Avatar does is take those seriously and really mm-hmm. talks about it and how that affects people and, and fights against it. Even, you know, when it is used as a joke, like for Sokka, Sokka's the one who's being laughed at, right? Mm-hmm. And here, that's just not the case. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like something that we see in media all the time, those sorts of jokes, and it's not okay. Totally. Just goes to show, I guess, that like you have to be, <laughs> to use Mad Eye Moody, well, Mad Eye Moody. <laughs> Mad Eye Moody? <laughs> to use his quote, constant vigilance, right? Like, it can seem like you're doing a lot of things right, but like if you're not analyzing everything you're doing, you can easily just fall into things or not think about other ways in which something's problematic just because you're doing some things right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about you? I thought a really interesting missed opportunity that they could have gone through with is analyzing the differences between Zuko and Azula through their genders because they obviously grow up in the same household and they're very different people. But I think that Zuko's obsession with honor to me speaks to a masculine way of looking at honor because it's all about strength and conquest and proving yourself in certain ways that are very kind of offensive in the combative kind of way. And I think that when you think about honor coming from female characters, unfortunately, it tends to be things of like, a woman who doesn't have honor is a woman who is sexually active, right? And yeah. things like that, right? It's purity-based exactly. rather than strength-based. Um, so it's, it's about, yeah, what they've lost, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And, or, you know, to a man, of course, who's taken it or what have you, which is Gross. all nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, well, I very much appreciate that Azula doesn't go down that at all. She doesn't really talk about honor at all either, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it would have been really interesting to see how much of his kind of obsession with honor doesn't just come from his past and his relationship with his father, but also from these toxic masculine types of ideas that are so prevalent in men. And I think that's one of the things where society is getting better and particularly shows like Avatar are getting better at showing other forms of masculinity. But I think that it would be really powerful to just have another part of the show also deal with how traditional gender norms can be so harmful because it's something that I think many men, particularly of younger generations, are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Having been socialized a certain way, then also realizing, oh, a lot of those ways are really problematic and how can we kind of build and move on from there? It's certainly something that I've struggled a lot with and I think I've grown tremendously in a lot of ways, but... I think it's something that I I certainly, when I was a child, could have used really good representations of in the kinds of things I was watching. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's the interesting question for me, is is the honor, when we're looking at those two characters, does it have anything to do with gender, or does it only have to do with culture in terms of honor equals you do what you're supposed to do, you do what you're told? And would Azula lose honor and need to regain it the same way if she challenged the Fire Lord? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So it's by challenging the Fire Lord, whoever the Fire Lord is, that's how you lose your honor. 
because you're not filling the role that you're supposed to fill, right? That that would be the question. That's a really which, good question. Yeah. Because then would they would they frame her doing so in terms of honor? And, you know, as you're mentioning, fulfilling your expectations. Are her expectations different as a woman than his as a man? Completely, So, yeah, yeah I, I think there's just a lot of really interesting meat there that could be delved into. Why isn't it a vegetable? <laughs> a lot of interesting rhubarb there that could be <laughs> yes. eaten. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish they had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Because we we do get to see a little bit more of the intersection in the Northern Water and Tribe, but we don't get to see it as much in in most of the other the other nations. Totally. Yeah. Well, what about you? What is your takeaways? Uh, Avatar's great. Yes, that is is the takeaway. Definitely while I was thinking about this, I was thinking a lot about Avatar and especially its comparison with the Dragon Prince. Mm -hmm. Because I find it really interesting because I think they both handle gender really, really well, but they do it in different ways. Essentially, the Dragon Prince has great representation. And so because that representation is there and it's not commented on, it's just showing, I think, a great society. And we'll talk a lot about this if we get into a Dragon Prince special episode. But I just find it interesting seeing that model of delving into issues of gender and other issues versus Avatars, which is actually addressing it head on. Not just saying this is a society in which these problems don't exist, but more highlighting the problems that we see in our society and seeing how they might be combated using these fictional characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think Avatar does, for the most part, a really good job at that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could always do it more. Of course. But yeah, they they do a good job. Like, I wish that there was maybe a few more instances of Sokka struggling with it since he starts struggling with it. It causes contention in his relationships and so on. And I wish that there was more female characters in Korra. You know, I love Korra and Asami's relationship, mm-hmm. but Mako and Bolin take up so much space in that show. For sure. For sure. Well, what's your takeaway? Yeah, so I think my takeaway is that Avatar, of the properties we cover, I think it probably does the best job in balancing the actual ratio of characters. (laughs) And it makes me really happy and really excited that there were so many female characters for me to have to grapple with who do I even choose (laughs) that's so true we could do this episode three or four more times absolutely because it's just so rich and it's it's so good good show yes conclusion good show (laughs) well so should we mention what we'll be doing next week so because as I'm sure all of you know The Rise of Skywalker came out, and we're going to be doing a special episode about that. So that'll be in place of our Star Wars episode. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to continue on to Harry Potter after that. So let me bring up what theme we're going to look at Harry Potter through. We are going to look through the theme of death. Death and Harry Potter. (laughs) I don't know what we're going to talk about. We're really going to have to just... Dig deep for that. Yep. <laughs> no, <laughs> no character pun intended. is uh, is affected at all by the prospect of death or the deaths that they've experienced. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay, so death in Harry Potter. That's exciting in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. With our new name, you'll all be able to find us on our new social media handles. So we are at Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. 
and we are at geekbetween on Twitter. You can also send us an email at geekbetween at gmail.com or go to our website at bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines. And of course, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. And just a reminder, if you're already following us on social media, you don't need to follow us again. We changed our handles, but you should still be subscribed. Yeah, the accounts stay the same. Just like our good, good content. <laughs> Let's hope that's true. We also want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pestel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Instagram or Facebook. We really love our new logo and we hope you do too. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.